Hello everyone and welcome to uh, season three of Working With Humans. Um, this season, as uh, you probably know, is Happiness Shorts, um, which is to coincide with the publication of my happiness book. And today I have the amazing um, Henry Stewart with me, who is founder and chief happiness officer of Happiness Limited. Um, sorry, of Happy Limited, author of <laughs> Happy Manifesto. And Henry says he likes to help people create happy workforces. Hello, Henry. Hello there. How are you today, Henry? I'm grand and delighted to delighted to be on here. Um, Henry, as this is a podcast, uh, we often uh, start by describing where we are so people can imagine um, whether you're on your yacht or whether you're, uh, <laughs> whether you're, whether you're out, out somewhere swimming. Can you, can you describe where you are, Henry? <laughs> where I'd like to be is out somewhere cycling, but I, where I actually am is in my front room at home in Stoke Newington, um, uh, which is in London. Um, and I've got some lovely trees I can see through the windows. Our back garden's got loads of greenery. Um, it's, yeah, nice place to be. Thanks, Henry. Um, I'm, um, I'm south of the river in Crystal Palace at my colleague Mark Thompson's uh, flat, uh, where we are socially distanced working today. Right. Um, so, um, Henry, before, before we kick off, I did, um, I did a half good job of reading out your, um, re reading out your uh, bio on LinkedIn. But could you introduce yourself in your own words, please, Henry? <laughs> well, I'm Chief Happiness Officer at Happy, a company I founded 32 years ago. Then it was Happy Computers, and our aim was to uh, help people find IT software enjoyable. You know, just things like Excel and so on, those word perfect back in those days. Wow. Um, and nowadays, what we do, we still do that, but nowadays what we do is we help organisations create happy workplaces through training and consultancy. So, Henry, I wasn't going to ask you that, but what, um, how, that, that's quite, that was quite a, must have been quite a big change. What made you think, right, we're going from the computer bit to the, to the workplace bit? Well, we started winning lots of awards for we won the award for the best customer service in the entire country. We won, we're five years in a row in the best uh, top 20 workplaces awards and our clients started to ask us can you teach us that stuff too so we Love thought it. yeah um and actually the whole mission of happy from the beginning was to spread uh to learn how to create a happy workplace um and to spread it so so that fitted in absolutely with those ideas henry i've got another unplanned question for you because this <laughs> so, you've opened up so many doors here which is I would say when we started six years ago, there was still a bit of cynicism about happiness in the boardroom. I, th I feel like in the last two years, with more data around and more studies, that, that more boardrooms are starting to get it. Um, and I feel since COVID that there's another like acceleration of this stuff. Now, you said for, you started 31, 32 years ago. Yeah. What was the reception? Did, did, did people think you were just a hippie with no commercial side to you? What, like, <laughs> was it any different then? Like, what was, the, what was your response when you started getting involved in this field? Oh, it was, it was very different then. And there were very few people to learn from, you know. Um, I think Ben and Jerry's was an inspiration in those days. Um, mm. But there was very, there was, there was nobody talking about happy workplaces. I don't think even Martin Seligman had got started yet. Um, and the, I remember speaking at conferences back in the 90s. Um, I, I remember one conference where I spoke about, you know, the importance of happy workplaces and freedom and trust. 
And the chief executive promptly stopped her people going on my courses because he said, I don't want them hearing any of that. I'm, I tell them what to do and they do it. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, things have changed a lot. I like to think we're a bit of a pioneer, really. I love it. I love it, Henry. And I think you summed up why I've invited you on today, because like you said, there wasn't many people to learn from. Um, you spoke at our conference um, and inspired me so much. And, and again, it's a non, oh, thank um, you. a non, um, a, a non-planned question, but I think uh, we spoke before and I think the study that you um, told us about from the King's fund and, and happiness and the impact of death rates in the NHS. Um, yeah. Before we get into the questions, could you just, in a nutshell, share that study with us because still today, like you're used to hearing it, but it still shocks a lot of people. So, if you could just share that study with us, Henry. Yeah. So, so, the King's Fund uh, does, does uh, lots of research on, on the health sector, and this there's a guy called Michael West there who's particularly prominent, and they compared um, uh, various factors in hospitals with how happy and engaged the staff were, um, and you won't be surprised to know that. Patients are happier when staff are happier. That makes sense, right? But yeah. the other thing they, they discovered was that less people die in happy, engaged workplaces. And specifically, uh, for every, because there's a standardised hospital mortality rate that every hospital measures. And for every 96 people that die in a happy, engaged hospital, 103 die in a disengaged hospital. And I did the calculations on this and discovered that that amounts to 5,000 deaths a year in the UK alone, or as I like to put it, 5,000 lives saved by happy, engaged hospitals. Yeah. Uh, thank you for sharing that, Henry. And if you just didn't get those numbers, please rewind the podcast and, and listen to that again. Um, so, Henry, I've got one, two, three, five questions for you. Okay. Um, I think, um, actually, I'm going to add another one in now because I just thought of one that I want to ask you, Henry. <laughs> I want to go back to that chief executive, actually, that you just mentioned, because... <laughs> You just sort of casually popped in there, like, as you would imagine, um, if, if you've got happier staff in the hospital, you'll have happier patients. And then you went yeah. on to talk about the, the mortality rates, et cetera, et cetera. But not everyone makes those connections. You, you, you do that intuitively. Um, some chief executives get, like, the link between this stuff, but there's still a lot of ones like that chief executive 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. Why do you think some people get the link intuitively and some don't? <laughs> well, that, that's a difficult question. I um, know, I should have pre-planned it for you. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the debate we have continually with the people I work with. The research is clear. The evidence is clear. Uh, why wouldn't you? Why, why, why don't people get it? Why don't people see that uh, a trust-based environment, a, a happy workplace... Um, is simply more productive, more profitable, works better on any, any, any measure. Um, it's, it's an intriguing question. Um, and the, so the, the chief executives we meet, they tend to be ones that, that read a lot. Yeah. Right. That have a, that you know have a stack of books. They'll they'll read stuff on on the web, and they they know they've they've seen the evidence and they know. Because one of the interesting things about the work we do is you might think we're about creating happy workplaces. So it must be the unhappy workplaces that come to us. Mm. Well, it's not. It never is. <laughs> it's the ones that get it. I went uh, uh, recently to uh, speak to the executive uh, of, a, of a charity and I went in, in, in the boardroom and there were 12 happy workplace, best workplace awards sitting along the window. window oh, wow. You know, 
And in, in my early days, I thought, oh, my goodness, they don't need us. But but now I know they can use it. And yeah. a week after that talk, the chief executive sent me an email saying these are the 10 things we've done as a direct result of your talk. Now, in the unhappy workplaces, they wouldn't even have got around to organizing a meeting to discuss what to do. Yeah. Um, but that's the difference between organizations that get it. Yeah. And those that don't. No, thanks. I'm going to start. Um, I'm going to stop just chucking new questions at you now and get through the what I said I will ask you um, what, and you as a person what what makes you happy Henry uh, family makes me happy I've got uh, three wonderful grown-up kids um, I'm going to become a granddad in November that makes me happy is cycling I love cycling I especially love cycling up a mountain so oh. something like getting to the top of the Galibier in the Alps makes me really happy wow i don't even know what that is but i'm going to check that out on google afterwards it's one of the tour de france uh, big calls it takes oh. takes two hours to get up it and it's glorious and can you do that without a stop yeah yeah wow i'm impressed <laughs> and i don't know anything about it but I so when i did it i did it in uh, there were 500 of us and there's a wonderful point going up where this where there was a woman standing by the side who said would you like me to pour water on you and i and it felt like heaven she poured, you know, it was a hot day. You know, I was exhausted and she poured a, a bottle of water on top of my head and that was glorious. Um, amazing, Henry. Um, I think because we work in like the broader sort of like happiness research industry, well-being space, I do think we all have a responsibility to talk about when we have rough days as well because I, when I see your stuff, you, you tend to look like you're in a good mood. People say the same about <laughs> me. Do you have rough days, Henry? Uh, well, there was some rough days at the beginning of the lockdown. Yeah. You know, I remember I was couldn't sleep um, and things like that. And, you know, we at the beginning of the lockdown, we lost 85% of our income. You know, all the classroom stuff out the window. We were sitting there wondering, you know, that, that was scary. And that was that was that was tough. Um, I mean, we've built it back up now with moving our classroom to online. But that was rough. I, I had very rough days the one time in our business when we... I had to make redundancies. Um, uh, so those kind of things. I, I mean, I think I am pretty positive, generally. Um, but I do recognise that some people do find life tough. And, yeah, um, and you can't just say to them, just cheer up. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. But yeah. um, uh, somehow I'm fortunate. I mean, it's meant to be 50% DNA, isn't it, What you're, yeah. how happy you are? Somehow, I'm fortunate to to have a pretty positive outlook on life. Yeah, no, I think um, last week I downloaded my 23 and that 23 and Me DNA and uploaded it to DNA Fit. Um, right, and it gives me my link to stress. That um, oh. tells me whether I'm likely to be uh, weak or stronger at dealing with stress. Um, and what does it say? It says it, it says I'm stronger. Um, which I, I do think is is part of being an entrepreneur, and that I, I think yeah. I've been an entrepreneur for I think f- fifteen years. I've run my own businesses. I think it's Are you a novice, man. You're a novice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I, you find it. Yeah, I think you. It's part of the the process of finding out whether you, you're going to be able to do it and all that kind of stuff. But but there's lots of stuff that I'm not great on as well. But I, but it was interesting to see that um, yeah. in there. Um, so. Um, why is employee happiness important then, Henry? Well, on the first level, um, 
I, I would hate to run a business that where people are unhappy. Yes, just on principle. You know, you want, and I've been in one. I've been in some that have been, um, <laughs> and you you want to feel people are engaged, they're fulfilled, they're enjoying coming to work. So first of all, just on basic principle, that that's what you Love want. That. Love but that. fortunately, it's also the case that happiness is that people who are happy are more productive um, and more effective and produce better organize better organizations and. Uh, the research is clear on that. The, you, I, I mentioned the King's Fund. Um, the other research I love is the work by Alex Edmonds on great workplaces. Um, he he looked, he, he wanted to ask the question, the Fortune Best Workplaces, this had been going for 25 years. Are those workplaces more profitable, uh, more effective? So he took the stock market uh, index, the stock market um, metric, because that's an easy metric to, 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 to run analysis on. And he went back over 25 years and he found that if you'd invested in the standard S&P stock market at the end of the 25 years, you had $100,000 in the bank. If instead you'd invested in the best places to work and you could have done that, they came out every year, you could have done it, you'd have ended up with $236,000. That's the hard financial benefit. Of versus, creating a great versus, workplace. Versus, so it's if you invested a hundred thousand in the best places, you would have ended up with two hundred thirty. No, 000. if you if if your investment had resulted in a hundred thousand at the end of twenty five years, um, if instead you'd invested that oh, in the wow. best workplace, you'd have ended up with two hundred thirty six thousand. And for those listeners, could we just uh, you just repeat the name of that study so people can check? It's it out? Alex Edmonds. Um, it's a detailed econometric study. He was then at Wharton Business School. Um, yeah and he's, he's now at London Business School. Um, and, you know, I've chatted to him, and he's very clear. He puts all these savings into the about the only trust fund that invests in happy workplaces. Um, and that work, that trust, that, that investment fund, um, uh, which has been going, I think, about 14 years, um, started off with about half a million dollars, has now got a couple of billion. And yeah. is in the top one percent best performing funds in the entire United States. So the wow. question is, because I don't think there's a similar one in the UK. The question is, why are not all investment funds doing this? Why is it one fund that clearly works? Why? Yeah. What? What is wrong with you know um, the financial industry? Yeah, and it I doesn't do, get it. I, I think part of it is a lack of data as well. Um, because no, the data's there, Matt. The data is there. Alex's data, the data from this 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 investment fund, um, the data is there. I think the data's there on a on a macro level, um, and um, where you've got people that submitted to that. Where I think the data's missing is in individual companies' boardrooms, because there's a lot of PLs out there that would never even look at this type of data. Um, so I think that the access to the studies is there, but I think there's a massive job to be done on data um, mm -hmm. that that I think is very easy to solve. And there's lots of companies out there like ourselves and others that, that are starting to add that in. But if you speak to a lot of CFOs and talk to them about putting their employee and customer ha happiness metrics into the board report, they would not be happy with you. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so we've got slightly different opinions on that one. Um, I want to talk about the linkages again, Henry, which is, do you think there's, I know you talked about the difference between um, a patient um, and a staff member, but what's your thoughts on the links between employee and customer happiness? Well, I, I, 
I don't know if I've got a study on that one, but it just seems obvious that, that happy staff lead to happy customers. And that, that is another reason why I want our people to feel happy, to not work too long hours, to be relaxed, to be at ease, because it, I know from our customers that they just love coming to happy and they love yeah. the sense that they get there and the sense that everybody uh, that everybody feels happy. Um, and that is about, I mean, I think, you know, it is about a whole range of things, including the relationships you have there, but it's about creating a culture where you want people to be positive and supportive and you don't want them, you know, to succeed at the expense of others. Um, so, yes, absolutely. Um, if you want happy customers, you're not going to get them through unhappy staff. Yeah. You know, if you ring up somebody some some helpline and the, the person's you know unhappy as i go at you you're not you're not happy yeah you know there's it, it's like another another health example i we did a lot of work for the royal college of gps um and what came up again and again was uh those patients who submit complaints right it's very yeah. rarely to do with medical error it's less than 10 percent is to do with medical yeah. error it's almost entirely to do with attitude yeah. You know, you you forgive a medic who's actually nice and pleasant and helpful. You, you The ones that get complaints, even when they haven't done something wrong, yeah. is those who are mean or nasty or arrogant or whatever. And there's not many of them, you know, because yeah. most most aren't like that. Yeah. And um, I'm going to reframe the last question, Henry, as we go into the last three minutes, because I'm determined to keep... We've this... only got one question left. Yeah, yeah, we've flown through them um, because we actually started to attack this question. So I'll, I'll read it out, but I'm going to reframe it. So the last question was, do you think there is a link between happiness and company performance? And we've actually covered that throughout. We've covered so, that. That's done, we, dealt with. So, so what, the way I'm going to reframe it is, you're a HR director in a company um, and you've still got a... a, a not a cynical chief exec, but you've got a board that you're trying to get this stuff. Like the, the fact that happier employees are happier customers and that it could lead to performance. What advice would you have for that HR director? Well, let me, I'm going to tackle this side on because first of all, let's talk about what, the, what happiness is about because it's not yeah. about that, that, you know, I, I, we, we, that in the moment, you know, glass of wine or having a beer bust on a Friday afternoon. What it is about is about long-term fulfillment. And yeah. for that, I very much go back to Daniel Pink's stuff on mastery, autonomy, and purpose. Do you have a purpose? Do, are you doing something that you're good at? You know, that's absolutely crucial. We are, we are happy, um, have, a, have an aim that people have joined their work 80% of the time. Um, yeah. And that's very much about doing something you're good at, playing to your strengths. So at Happy, we, yeah, we recruit your job description and then we throw it away. And yeah. we try and work out what people's actual talents are, uh, what motivates them. You think to yourself, what, what really motivates you? What you'd love doing? What do you put off that you don't want to do? You know, um, but above all, it is about autonomy. And do you have um, freedom and trust in your work? Because what people hate is being micromanaged. What they hate is being told what to do. What they love is being given a clear framework, but within that, been trusted to do it to do it themselves and yeah. it's been very interesting in this crisis i was at a hospital on friday my first actual live classroom session where the principle was no going back because what happened in the crisis was they couldn't they they 
you no longer had the levels of approval and the hierarchy and these kinds of things because you just couldn't. You know, so one one nurse there said, yeah, I was I was told you've got one day to move this pediatric unit to somewhere completely different. You know, no plans, no whatever. They just had to do it. There's no approval from above. They just had to do it. And the things that were achieved in, in the NHS in those three months are truly remarkable. And they were achieved by people and given freedom and trust. And the yeah. far-sighted trust, um, and it, and and that gave them that that fulfilment. You know, obviously terrible things were happening, but it gave them a huge fulfilment. And and the far-sighted trust are, are going with that kind of slogan: "No going back. We're not going to go back to the old ways of telling people what to do." Yeah. Did that? I no, no idea if that answered your question, but it does. <laughs> what I'm what I'm gonna what I took from that, Henry, which we're going to use for the summary, which I thought was brilliant, is that. Even though it's the podcast, I can't see you and you're not killing us by PowerPoint. Um, you painted a picture in everyone that's listening in my mind about how I would have that conversation in the boardroom. So right. I, what, I've, what I've taken from it is that you obviously know all the studies and the information. So but but you can just paint that picture and it's very powerful. So <laughs> I think the thing that I'm taking from that for the HR director is storytelling and, and picture painting that you might have all the data and all this but if you can paint that picture like you just have there, yeah. I think that's the, that's your starting point. So HR director, just call me in to talk to your board. And I'll... <laughs> that's all you need. Love it, Henry. Henry, we've got 21 <laughs> minutes. So I'm going to just finish by saying, as ever, I've enjoyed it and I've learned so much. And thank you for being an inspiration. Well, thank you very much. It sounds a fabulous podcast and book that you're creating. Thanks, Henry. Chat soon. OK, cheers. Bye. <laughs>